You are listening to the Let's Talk About Sex Trafficking Podcast. Your co-hosts, Christy Wells and Brittany Dunn, will interview survivors, industry experts, and community leaders who are committed to increasing survivor identification beyond 1%. This is the first step to ending child sex trafficking in America by 2030. Join us for real facts, real stories, and real ways you can be part of the movement to end child trafficking. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Safe House Project Let's Talk About Sex Trafficking podcast. My name is Christy Wells. I am the CEO and co-founder of Safe House Project, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Brittany Dunn, who is the COO and co-founder of Safe House. We are also joined today by Carla Stevens. Carla is a TV personality, host, producer, a fabulous mom, wife, and an entrepreneur. She is known for her ability to speak relevant truth that energizes and encourages others to walk boldly and live loudly. I love that. Carla is also known for her straightforward approach to life, and she lives by the mantra, knowing who you are helps you reject who you are not. Carla, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It, it's As I always say to you, it's a privilege and an honor on my behalf to be in this space space with the two of you. The work that you do is amazing, and I'm excited to be chatting with you today about sex trafficking. Awesome. Well, as we get started, just help tell our audience a little bit about what inspired you to become part of the trafficking movement. You know, every day is still the same thing. I wake up with the possibility that I could have been a victim, or I still could be, or my family members, my nieces, my nephew, all the people that I love, just the survivors, the victims, the potential victims, every day waking up with that thought in, in my head, it makes me want to get up to do something to work in this anti-human trafficking movement to save one child, one adult, just if I can prevent anyone from having to become someone's slave or to deal with this modern day slavery, it just drives me. Even when I, at times I have to admit, even when I don't want to be driven by it, you wake up, you see someone's child, you see a child on the street by themselves, or in my culture, my neighborhood, you see a lot of the young women and they're out and they're in these groups and you're thinking at the same time, keep them safe. They could end up in this horrible space and end up in a sex trafficking ring. So that's literally a daily inspiration for me. And I do have to ask myself, why not? <laughs> it's like, why not? You know, I know why, but why not someone like me? Because more people like me involved in this fight, I truly believe that we will get even closer to ending this, this crime altogether. That's fantastic. And I appreciate that your vision is to see it ended, not curbed, not lessened, but truly ended because that's really where our minds go. You know, anything less than eradication just doesn't seem to quite hit the mark of what should happen to the trafficking industry. Now you have a lot of personal experiences in speaking into this and in, in speaking with those who have been affected by it. Can you share a little bit about maybe one of your experiences in serving survivors in your community? I definitely, I'm gonna share one that is really recent. And 
it actually drives my desire to continue to partner and work with you all is I was on social media talking about and promoting, you know, ending human trafficking and an actual survivor. I was so surprised because normally this doesn't happen. I've been in settings with survivors, but it's typically private and you can't expose or you can't say anything. An actual survivor reached out to me and showed up on that live. And I was so shocked. We took it offline and we took it private so we could really talk. And I may cry talking about this, but to actually have her one feel comfortable enough and feel drawn to me to share her story and to say, I've never done this. It was just an amazing and memorable moment for me because of a lot of people don't understand the vulnerabilities that are there. And to be that person that someone says, I trust you with my story. I will forever remember that not just trusting you with my story in secret, but I trust you enough that if I expose my story in this manner, that you will cover me and you will take care of me. So that meant so much to me. And so we went offline and we talked for a long time, face to face, kind of in a chat. And she's actually still in my life today. And I'm working to promote and help her in her business space. And a lot of that was inspired by the two of you when I connected with you and I found out that over 80% of survivors are re-victimized. And when you share with me how a lot of them don't get the help or the services that they need once they finish the traditional program, it really moved my heart. And then to have this living witness and testimony of exactly what you had just shared with me, it was an aha moment in that, okay, God was leading me into this more specific space. I have been advocating for many years and I've done a lot of things. But I am in the space in my life that I, I desire to see direct and specific impact. And so when she came into my life, it, it's like, it's almost like I need her more than she needed me. But to be able to really see someone walk through and see her progress, that has been amazing for me. And actually, even a part of, you know, my reason to keep going, because I know that there are young women and, and men like her who the chance that they had was destroyed and they're out here now still surviving when they should in fact be overcoming yeah and what yeah. you guys do is you are providing ways for them to overcome and not just survive and so that's memorable to me because after years of not necessarily having direct relationships and contact with survivors, some by design and some just because of a lot of things that I did, they were done in private and we couldn't have continual contact. I just feel so honored and privileged to have her in my space right now. So that's one of my memories. I absolutely love that. And I think there's a few things that is so telling about that. First, I think it really goes to show the importance of so many people engaging in this fight, whatever it looks like for them, because you don't know who somebody is gonna feel comfortable reaching out to. It's not always a therapist. It's not always a medical professional. It is just people in the community saying, I am here to listen and to hear your story and walk shoulder to shoulder with you in relationship is a huge part of what allows, I think, for survivors to even be willing to come forward in public or private settings. 
And the fact that we're seeing more survivors share their stories, share their testimonies, speaks volume to the fact that this is a movement that's continuing to progress, it's continuing to build, and that's gonna drive that lasting, meaningful change as we move forward. So I just am so glad that you've had that experience and that opportunity to really walk alongside somebody. I I am too, because I really didn't know. I try to stay in this awareness space, meaning that I'm ready at any time and any moment to tell someone about the anti-human trafficking fight, about organizations who are needing our help and to get involved. And to have her come out of nowhere right when I'm so stuck and transitioning that I'm the awareness queen and I'll pop in and I'll pop out. And then this beautiful relationship sparked in me to do even more. I haven't quite officially launched it, but I did start an initiative of stop trafficking mission funding for that very purpose to try to add more value and to bring more um, things to survivors like her and organizations like yours that are specifically designed to help turn survivors into overcomers. It's beautiful. Christy and I were chatting this week because we so often find that people will say, well, I don't feel equipped to walk alongside survivors or I don't know what I'm going to do if one comes to me. What was that initial interaction for you? How do you feel like you prepared yourself for that? (laughs) So I was shocked and I was not prepared because in my mind's eye, I'm a mama bear. And I, after having talked with some other survivors, some of them don't like you to do this, but my immediate thought was protection, which is why I was like, well, let's go offline. And some of them feel like you're closing us down again if you if you think you in the name of protecting us and it can make them feel like, okay, are you really trying to protect us? Or are you trying to get us alone to take advantage of us? So it was a little scary because I'm not ashamed to say that I'm not trauma tra- trained in the scholarly way. Have I gone through trauma? Yes. Have I been around victims enough to see and understand some of the vulnerability? Yes. Have I been trained some? Yes, but by no means do I feel like I qualified to say that I'm a trauma therapist already. So my mind was not there. But what I love, and I know that, I feel like God knows the relationships that we should have, because what I love about this meeting was the space that she came to me in, she was already ready. I don't even know how much value I'm adding to her technically. I feel like she's adding value to me. She was already ready. She had gone through so many things. Her fight is a little different. She's trying to get clemency because she was actually turned and accused as a trafficker. So her story is so deep and she was in a space that a a place that a lot of people are not. She knew her story, understood it, and she knew how to present it. And so I believe that she was crafted and designed for me. So while trauma was in her story, she didn't necessarily approach me to like help me with my trauma. She approached me in your space, help me live and get into society and be all that I can be because this was robbed for me. My innocence was taken. And not only was my innocence taken, I was robbed by my trafficker and I was robbed by the system when they re-victimized me and charged me as a trafficker. So that space, For me, it was intimidating, and I was a little concerned that maybe she wanted me to provide some type of soul healing. And so it is scary because the last thing you want to be is someone who comes off as you're trying to victimize someone who had gone through trafficking. And unfortunately, a lot of them feel that way, even about people who are trying to help them or organizations that are trying to help them. 
So it was very scary, but I believe God met me where I, I was at the time that I am and brought someone to me who had systems already in place and was dealing with the trauma side of it. But she's actually like my vision. She needs resources. And she wanted to connect with people who have resources that are tangible for her, that can help her with her situation. And that's honestly what the space that I'm in now and that I want to be. Because if I can't heal your internal wounds, but if I can play a part in the process of that healing by taking some of the weight off of you, by introducing you to people who can help your business or by introducing you to people who will take your life serious and the things that you're doing, I want to be that resource. That's fantastic. And I uh, think you're absolutely right. Sometimes we get the ability to walk alongside survivors, but I know for Brittany and I, the survivors that we are able to walk alongside now are very different from the ones that we would have been equipped to walk alongside two years ago. And for us, it's been a building process. You know, some of those early survivors were ones who were survivor leaders that were people who said, I see what you're doing and I'm going to speak in to help make sure you know how to best respond to this population and, and these men and women. And then over time, those cases or those individual situations have gotten more complex, but I definitely see for us, there was a grace early on that those individuals that we got to walk alongside were almost more teaching us in that space than we were uh, teaching them. I think the beautiful thing about working with survivors is just their strength and quite honestly, their grace for us. Yes. You know, there are so many times that I will ask questions and go, oh gosh, did I, did I do that right? Did I offend you? And they're going, oh honey, no, you're fine. You could do it better. You could do it this way, but their grace and their strength is phenomenal. So we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording about how this industry has shaped all of us. Can you share a little bit for you? You've been in this space for a while. How is being a part of the anti-trafficking industry shaped you as a person for good or for bad? Oh my goodness. Let me start <laughs> off. I'm going to talk about just from the mommy space, how it <laughs> shaped me. My 19 year old son at this very moment has a tracking system on his phone. He's so trained that he understands why he can't turn it off and that I'm not being nosy and I honor him and give him his space as a young man. But there are very bad people in this world that are looking to take you and utilize you for goods and services to put you into a slave labor. When I was growing up, my mommy didn't tell me that someone may be looking out and want to put me into the slave labor trade or the sex trade. You know, the, the biggest thing we feared when I was growing up was this quote unquote missing children of Atlanta story. And we feared it's kind of interesting though. We were fearing a white van back then. And now right. these myths about white vans now and, and human trafficking is just interesting. But so it has shaped me in ways that are both good and and ways that are probably not so good in that I was always a protective mom, I will say that. But hearing the stories and knowing the vulnerabilities and that not one child is safe, not one social bracket is safe, and how I look at other people, giving people the benefit of the doubt around my children, 
I can honestly say it was very rare for me to allow my children to be with adults, even within my own family. And, you know, I thank God that I can speak with privilege that I've been in a position that I can always be there when my kids play sports. If we were going out of town, I was going to be that mommy that took all the kids because I felt like I was better equipped to watch them all and keep them from stranger danger. So definitely as a mom and just, I've always been somewhat of an advocate, I guess, for the loss and the least or the hurting or advocate for those with pain. But this anti-human trafficking fight has definitely shaped me in a way that it's something about having something or someone to fight for beyond yourself. You're talking about building a strong person or raising strong kids. If you can teach them, yeah, you have to fight, but there's nothing like a fight when you're fighting for something beyond you or someone beyond you. And having that since I was in maybe my early 30s or not, like just when I was introduced and when I started the work that I was doing in my church, people were reaching out to me at the time about there was a cluster of prostitution that was happening in a small town near me. And they knew the work that I was doing with young girls and training young girls. And they reached out to me and they wanted me to come and speak and try to help with this. The prostitution was just overwhelming this little town. But at that time, it was becoming very popular. It was becoming a lifestyle in a way to gain money or a way to appear glamorous and that you were living the life. And so early on, I, I was being asked to get involved and to think about someone besides myself. But this was in addition to going to church every week, in addition to the ministry I served at church. And I thought I was stretched. But being introduced and when I heard about and studied a little bit more about what human trafficking was and going to my first introduction was with Wellspring Living and Street mm -hmm. Grace and all those people going to their classes. Right. It just opened up a world for me to say, now this is really beyond you. Because at the time I still had this unrealistic idea that this was somewhere far away, that it was not in my neighborhood that it was not in my ethnicity, that this was some foreign disease. And so I really thought I was doing something good because I'm gonna help some girl from another country. So the fight was like, okay, when it comes to the human trafficking, mind you, I'd already was working with girls who were prostituting on the streets, girls that were in the exotic uh, dance clubs, underage, but the connection was not there that some of these same girls on the streets prostituting and some of the same girls that are in these exotic clubs are there because they have a trafficker or a pimp. And so getting that realization, it, it shaped every bit of who I am today to always have that thing that pushes you to say outside of what you want for your children, outside of what you want for yourself, you have to fight for these. I definitely think it has afforded me a realistic way of looking at life. And it afforded me to, to actually experience people rising up in hope beyond hope. So in terms of shaping me, it has shaped who I am as a woman, shaped who I am as a wife, because it was times when I was out early on, especially when I was going on the streets and training and going to all these places that I was absent. And then I had to come home and train my male husband and sons. Because when I started, there wasn't very much talk about 
them actually being uh, kidnapped. It was more about what men were doing to women. And that was difficult for me to be, first of all, I'm married to a man and I'm raising boys and you guys are looked at as predators. So that shaped my relationship with them and how I taught them about women. And, you know, turned out later on, we started coaching them about their vulnerabilities and how they were targets and how they could be sold into slavery. You're, you're, you're strong, but naive men. So I just think every area, even to be honest, places that I will and will not go now, I don't travel alone to a lot of places. And I don't want anyone to think of fear and be prison to their fear. I'm not in prison to it, but I'm smarter. I don't have a problem checking in with my husband, him knowing who I am. I don't have a problem vetting my friend source. I don't have a problem vetting who I bring together because there's something about vulnerability that predators know that they can prey on. You can be a group of your friends, group of five women, and that one predator will find the most vulnerable. Well, I'm the person that I consider that when I bring my friends together or when I take them in space. So... I mean, I could go on and on in ways that being in this fight have shaped me as a, a human being, as a person, as a mom, as a wife, as a sister friend, all of it. You are one of us, and I just love that. Every time we get on with you, I'm like, oh, she's our people, as Christy, I say. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like we got each other in this lifetime and then our husbands go, we're over here. We adore them. But you hit on so many, I mean, incredible parts of how this does shape you. But it's all to make us more informed. It's all to help us be better uh, moms. How do we teach our sons that you can be a protector, you can be a predator, and you make that choice, but we want to build in you that strong sense of self. We want to help you understand how you can be a protector to those around you. For our girls, same thing. How do you stand up for other people? We all have an opportunity to cultivate a sense of self in even the youngest generations that we interact with and then watch that rise up. And so I just love that you touch on it, that this is something that once you learn about it, you can't turn away and it becomes part of the fabric of your being and part of your worldview. And then it becomes how you articulate our community response to really protecting everyone that we interact with. Everyone. And another thing that I take great joy in, I feel strong about that my sons, they can talk down the group from calling and trying to hire a prostitute or a sex worker because they are educated. So just think now, the more of us that are raising our children now with this awareness of what it is, if you don't have the Johns, you don't have the supply and demand. If we're raising our children now and understand that there are people who have mental sexual issues and that it's okay to get therapy, there's a lot of work that we can be proactive about. And the more people like you and myself, that's what awareness is to me. It's for the next generation also. So that not only do I put it in my sons and the women that I come in contact with, that you'll do it. And that's how you eradicate. You cannot eradicate without reaching down as far as you can to the generations, even in the wounds. Because if we can start with that cycle of how we raise our children and how we teach them. We grew up, you were hush-hush about sex. You were hush-hush about certain dangers. But no, from the time you're growing up, you understand it brings a whole new meaning to stranger danger. And what you're doing, imagine how far technology will be five or 10 years from now. Imagine having a child then and now someone can instantly be in your neighborhood because 
of a touch of something, or they could send your child a gift through a drone. So we have to raise awareness. We have to continue to educate because eradication looks like different things. It comes in different forms. And I say, if you get them when they're young and you educate and you educate the parents, then you're raising better people. You're raising productive citizens. Not that people didn't try before, but guess what? A lot of people were doing it without the awareness that this is a thing. That is a thing that's worldwide and not just in some foreign place. So I'm passionate about that. I, I definitely tell everybody, tell anyone. And this is, yes, you do raise your children, not in fear, but the same education that you're getting them in school and in college, they need to know that everyone on that campus is not your friend and that you don't belong in every party because not every party is safe for you. Right. And I think what's really great too about what you just said is that this isn't new. Like every, we get people say, why is human trafficking becoming the hot button issue? It's like, it's always been there. We're finally putting language to an industry that has existed for centuries. We are helping people understand the context in which it plays out. We're in helping them assign vulnerabilities, all of those pieces, is which is what is giving survivors a new voice because when we all are speaking the same language, it allows us to better articulate to the world the problem and then feel like we all have a response in it. Yeah, I agree because now my speeches and conversations now are much different than they were <laughs> years ago. And now I have no problem. I say human trafficking, modern day slavery, and I picked up the new anti-human trafficking. I noticed that now people are using that word a lot more. So I picked up on that. But I now, I feel free enough to say that my focus, that when I get specific is more on the domestic sex trafficking side of it. Mm -hmm. But I do let people know that it's not just sex trafficking, it's mm -hmm. labor trafficking. And that this is greater than, because sometimes you get people too much and then they start going and they want to talk about organ trafficking and all of that. So I tell them that what I do is raise awareness and in hopes that you'll be interested and you'll find out more. And then there are people who have been fighting and they're much more educated to speak to how far that goes because no one wants to hear that their toilet paper was made in, in slave labor. So yeah, it's still... I love the freedom that's there and that there are a lot of companies that are aware and people are becoming more aware. So as we further define the language, I definitely feel free and okay to say I'm specifically here because I know that there are more people in the fight that are handling things that I may not even touch on. Right. And you really brought up a great point of how much, as you have been kind of raising awareness, how much you've had to bust through myths and all of the ideas that all of us have held about trafficking for so long. So what are some of those myths that you've seen that you're like, no, no, I'm going to correct this here and now. We need to fix this because if you don't fix this, you're never going to solve the issue. What are some of those myths you've seen that just... 100% when I host a room or I talk, and the people that come in from my community, they all want to know about these taken experiences where right. they're violently snatched and thrown into a white van, the mm -hmm. dramatics of it. And uh, I can't tell you how many calls I was on and they brought up the conspiracy, the Wayfair conspiracies. And mm -hmm. you know, you heard the QAnon, uh, I think it's the, the conspiracy. I bumped into all of that, that oh, yeah. 
know, a certain political party or child traffickers and all of that. So it's the conspiracy things and the myths about what happens, that it's a violent altercation and that it's strangers, when in fact it's not necessarily strangers. Primarily it's someone that's had access to your child. And, and especially right. today and how things are happening with the young adults in my community with our girls and boys being the it thing with our voluptuous cells and our tan skin and the fact that it is now in some places it's a way to make a lot of money to a lot of people. They don't want to necessarily go down for drug dealing, but they're okay with sex trafficking or so many things happening right now. So it, I'd like to speak to the fact that it's not necessary. It's a myth about it all being a violent snatching. Right. You know? I want you to understand the manipulation that goes into it, the coercion that goes into it. And then at some point, the force behind actually getting uh, a victim to the point where they are so vulnerable that they don't even try to help themselves. And that if we, people need to understand if you keep looking for the snatch, that you mm -hmm. will miss the predator in your midst. Yeah. You'll miss the predator that that's out there in your neighborhood that you haven't noticed, but they walk every Wednesday because Wednesday just happens to be the day that you're not home and you don't know it, but your daughter meets with her friends outside. So that's one of the mm -hmm. biggest myths that I see amongst my culture and people right now, because first of all, it's, it was hard for us to believe that it even happened to us. So it's, it's kind of like befitting that the drama is associated with it now because we're involved and now it's very dramatic on how we are taken. And I do want to say it's not that people are not being smuggled or kidnapped, yes. but it's a huge, it's not trafficking. It's not yes. sex trafficking. It's not slave uh, labor trafficking. So that's one. I don't know if you asked for more than one, but that's the one that I have to answer every time I show up. You know what? I've got another one for you because I, you speak to this so well. Okay. What is one myth that is amongst the youth when it comes to trafficking? Because you've spoken to girls getting engaged just on the border of trafficking, thinking that they're the ones in control, and then the tables turn on them. So talk about that. I think, I mean, honestly, I, I probably, if, if they haven't seen that episode, and I don't, I don't like to mention names, but it was about a well-known case where they were charging him with trafficking and how the girls would get into recruiting. Mm -hmm. and, and first of all, I'm going to say it's not just the party and, and it's not going to go viral, the video that you make. And honestly, the one that I see the most with youth and it really involves the parents too, because the parents think that the freedom that they give their kids with social media and the internet, they think that it's harmless. They don't think that it's this thing about getting too involved with your children and their friends. I see young people, they think that they can trust everyone. Their biggest thing that it's okay, everybody is doing it. It's okay. And so, and I'm going to say for my community, it's really more about the thing you have to do to get made or to make it or to go viral or to go to get in goods. And I, I hate to even bring this up, but we've had some crazy stuff happen in our community now with some cases and people being charged and they want to call everything sex trafficking because there's such a lack of awareness in our community about it. But the same lack of awareness is what's getting our youth in right. it. So they, 
I, I guess I would say that if I'm trying to put a finger on it, but it's this thing about that there's a myth about what it takes to make it or become this celebrity or become this it girl. And it's wrapped into you giving over your will and everything to a person, whether it's a girl or a guy. And you don't realize that they're actually setting you up to sell you for sex. So it, it's a lot of that. But And I get a lot, oh, it's really not that serious. It's not that. The myth that, and this is so strong, there's this myth of that is just sex and it's not that serious. Mm -hmm. Not until you're somewhere and no one can get you back. Right. And you think it's okay, it's just sex, I'm making money. Or some of you downtrodden, you know what, so y'all giving it away for free. They really think that it's okay because I'm getting paid to do this and you're getting away from free. I see your bomb life, so what do you can tell me about it? Right. So it's a plethora of myths and misconceptions that oh, yeah. are around youth right now. And uh, I think... The, the parents are so misinformed and they're living on those old myths that it's okay to just let your kids be themselves and be free and that it's harmless or just old-fashioned thinking that needs to be updated to protect our children because it's not okay. And it's not okay that it's so easy now, especially when it comes to entertainment, because people think that it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And they use the entertainment guys. That's a part of what I was doing on Clubhouse. I was asked to host a room with a few casting agents and directors because they were very concerned that a lot of the young girls that were showing up on their sets, they were concerned if they were you know, victims of human trafficking because a lot of it is about their bodies. They know that sometimes those sets end up transitioning into after hours. They end up girls leaving with guys and groups. And we may not even see it as a myth, but it, it is. They see it as it's okay and it's not. They see it as a lifestyle. And they think this lifestyle that we see in this world of music and entertainment foolishly enough in our community that they don't even equate that what I'm in is a situation. I'm actually being sold for sex. I'm being trafficked. So I would, I would say that's the biggest thing that I run into that you think you have a job in entertainment and you really don't. That's, that's, that's the big myth. You're not working in entertainment, dear. And it's not what you think it is, but a lot of them, unfortunately, Sometimes they don't want to hear it unless you're coming from another place. And I think that's why I can get into places and more doors because they see me as someone, you've been in entertainment, you're around entertainment people, producers and celebrities. And so they listen. And that's when I tell them that you need to change how you think. That's not true. Know the facts. Know the facts. If you are being forced or coerced, frauded, you're being promised something. If you exchange, do these commercial sexual acts with this person, that you'll get this record deal, that you'll get to do this video, you are a trafficking victim. Yeah. I just yeah. love how you have such a unique perspective based on your own like lived experiences and seeing it play out and that you get to speak into parts of culture that not everybody is afforded the opportunity. And so as we go to sign off, what would be one message that you would want to share with the overcomers? I'll say it again that you matter. You matter to me. You matter to 
thousands of people who fight for you every day, just like Christy and uh, Brittany, who wake up to fight, lay down at night to fight, and that you matter, your life matters. And none of us want your past to be your future. None of us want you to live this life out of pain. We recognize the pain or I recognize the pain and I'm about to cry and I recognize the hurt, but I want more than anything is for you to live beyond that pain and for you to live beyond that hurt and knowing that you matter and that what happened to you is not the life that was actually designed for you. That bad that happened is not who you are. You are love and you are someone and you have a future. And there are people who will never, ever, including myself, stop fighting for you. As we close, William Wilberforce once said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. We've all had defining moments in our lives where we faced a choice to either engage or look the other way. Make your choice now to engage. Subscribe to our podcast for future content involving how you can make a difference in stopping trafficking by 2030.